everybody to this session of the Med Student Over Easy podcast, a series for medical students brought to you by the EM Over Easy crew. I'm Andy Little, your EM Over Easy host, and I want to introduce two very good friends of the show, Casey McGillicuddy and Kevin Tomasic, who I'm going to let introduce themselves and then take over this awesome discussion talking about your non-EM rotations. So Casey, Kevin, introduce yourselves, and I will keep quiet. Hi, my name is Casey McGillicuddy. I am a rising third year in Advent Health East Orlando's program. Excited to be here. Hi, I'm Kevin Tomasic. I am the clerkship director for Advent Health Emergency Medicine, and I also am glad to be here and appreciate you guys having us. So I was in medical school possibly a little bit closer to now than Dr. Tomasek was. So I very much interested in going into emergency medicine pretty early on, and I had this thought to myself as well, actually, just because I wanted to make sure that when I was doing these rotations, I was doing them with a lot of intention in order to be a little bit more prepared for my emergency medicine rotation because I knew how important the slows would be. And so I knew when I walked in the first day to EM, I wanted to hit the ground running. And so I felt like there were a lot of important things to learn from each rotation. And so I started out actually each rotation with a set of skills that I either wanted to learn or I either wanted to ask about and and kind of manage. And so I mapped out my third year and my specific rotations that I did with a little to-do list that I thought would help me for my EM rotation in my fourth year. Wow, that's fantastic. I did not do that. So I am the opposite end of the spectrum. I did not think I was going to do emergency medicine through my rotation. So you're kind of on the upside of it. I'm on the downside of it. I, I went through rotations seeing if this was my career choice or not until fourth year. So I think you had an advantage and that's what today's topic can be on. If you if you already are aware you're going to do emergency medicine, how can you go into each rotation and learn kind of a few things from each rotation that you can carry on with you as an ER resident and physician? Cool. All right. So you want to get started on, I guess we can break it down by each rotation and kind of talk about skills you can learn and, and take home points you can learn from each rotation. Yeah. I think the most general approach, it doesn't really matter what rotation you're on, would be one, the history and physical exam for the patient population that you're about to see. The physical exam for a newborn baby is such a specific skill set that you're really going to get introduced to in pediatrics, but that you'll use in emergency medicine versus the psych patient versus the unstable patient. And these are all different patients you'll see in the in the EM world, but you get introduced to in third year as a specialty. So learning the nuances of the kind of history you want, the kind of physical exam that would be expected from your specialist when you speak to them on the phone, that's really important as a general approach. Yeah, I agree. I second that. So what about... so? That's kind of generalized. So let's get down to each each kind of basic rotation you'll take as a third year and, and talk about things we should should gain from them. So what about OBGYN? Yeah. So I guess first up, OBGYN. Women in general can be a little bit scary because you're not only dealing with mom, you're dealing with baby. And depending on how pregnant they are, the viability of the baby. And so in your OBGYN rotation, you will start to get really comfortable and familiar with pelvic exams, with mapping out the different timeline of labor and labor progression. You'll also see a lot of gyne emergencies, things that we routinely call OBGYN specialists for. If they need to 
have any kind of emergency surgery for, such as vaginal bleeding that is turned into like a hemorrhage situation or a OA versus an ectopic pregnancy, things like that. Yeah, excellent. So talk about it at the end for take-home points, but each rotation, I have a few take-home points. One is each rotation, what do I need to learn to carry with me as an ER doctor? And then my second big take-home point for each rotation is what do I need to learn so when I call a consultant at 2 a.m., I can inform them and take care of the patient the best way? Those are the two things you should learn on each rotation. So I think OBGYN, one is, the, I agree 100%, the pelvic exam. A pregnant and non-pregnant pelvic exams are something you should really focus your time on because you're going to do a lot of those in the emergency department, and they really change management based on if a patient's be able to be transferred or not based on their their you know uh, pelvic exam in a pregnant patient. And then obviously, I agree, gynecological, surgical emergencies, we have to learn how to manage in the ER. A lot of them will present to us first, and we have to stabilize them, but you also have to learn how to recognize them. So learning the handful that exists, being able to diagnose them appropriately is kind of the first step. And you also want to be able to speak to a consultant on their level. So every single OBGYN, if you have a, a patient, will want to know their gestational, not gestational age, their, if their patient's a G3, P2, they'll want to know the quantification of vaginal bleeding in terms of either pads per hour, how much they soak through the pad, if they pass clots, how they want you to measure the size of the clot in terms of quarters versus small fruit, things that that they deal with on a daily basis that they'll want you to say. So because they're not in the room, and so you do all of this in the hopes of getting your specialist, your surgical specialist, involved and involved early. So they need to know exactly what you're seeing, but over the phone. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. That's perfect. Yeah, it's a good good explanation for kind of what we need to do with those OBGYN rotations. Awesome. Should we move on to family medicine? Awesome. So, I mean, I would say for family medicine, it's it's a lot of outpatient care. It's it's a lot of patient visits. It's a lot of time to practice your, really your kind of history-taking skills, getting comfortable with physical exam maneuvers, and working on your certain exam techniques like your MSK exam and just general kind of primary care practice. But I also think it's a time to focus on kind of the limitations of what family medicine and outpatient medicine has and understanding that when you when you see a patient in the ER, what's the limitation that an outpatient physician has? And that can change your practice in the emergency department because understanding that, you know, getting an outpatient CAT scan can take weeks sometimes. So that's why they refer their patients to us. So understanding that. But also when you're discharging patients, understanding the limitation of that practice that they have. So they may not be able to see their patient the next day. So making sure that they're they're comfortable with the plan and stable. So that's kind of, I would say, the, the long-term picture for when you see and you rotate in FM is, is what can I gain from this? It's understanding kind of limitations that outpatient medicine has. But in the individual practice while you're actually there, I think really working on your physical exam skills, kind of owning that time to, to practice and get down and be comfortable with examining patients, whether it be pelvic exam, breast exams, MSK exams, all of the above, because that's the time to kind of focus on that. I will say, I feel like sometimes I treat outpatient world as this magical place that I can send all patients to and everything will magically get resolved for them. And that's not necessarily true, but at the same time, patients who lack that, even that initial PCP follow-up, they are at a significant disadvantage when it comes to the things that I see them for all the time, such as like refilling meds or checking on their high blood pressure, their asymptomatic high blood pressure that they're worried about. And so 
sometimes I tell patients, I'm going to do nothing for you other than connect you with resources because I am not who you need to see. You need to be plugged into care. And while you're in front of a doctor right now and I can do initial screening labs for dangerous things, ultimately I'm not going to solve any of your chronic problems. And so I can help you see the, the doctor who actually might actually have a chance of helping you. So I think the big take-home points from family medicine is kind of owning those physical exam skills, spending time to practice those, and then really understanding the limitations that that outpatient medicine will have, and that can help kind of reinforce your 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 practice patterns as a as a resident, as a physician in emergency medicine. All right, psych. The population we see, I feel like, all the time in every emergency medicine, and I think. When you talk about psych, you're not just talking about crisis patients. You're also talking about addiction medicine, and you're also talking about toxidromes, and you're also talking about when you'll be calling the the poison control line, things like that. All of these kind of encompass psych, and a lot of it is very pharmacological heavy, which I don't think I knew walking into third year how much I'd be relying on knowing the pathophysiology and the mechanisms of so many of the dopaminergic drugs that they use. And also when it comes to things like overdoses of versus cocaine versus LSD and seeing what they would present like in the acute setting. So not all of these people necessarily need an immediate psych consult, but I felt like I learned so much of what that meant within my psych rotation and kind of recognizing both your acute psychotic episodes that require um, hospitalization for up to 72 hours to intentional overdoses to just addiction medicine in general. Yeah, exactly. I think kind of focusing on really the 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 practice that psychiatrists do, especially hospital versus outpatient. But if you're on a psych rotation, it's probably going to be in a hospital setting, where understanding kind of their idea of 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 an acute psychosis episode and how do we treat it in the emergent setting, how do we treat it in the non-emergent setting, how do we treat it over a few days, and what can we do in the ED to stabilize that patient because an acute psychosis is, is really in a medical emergency that we that we have to stabilize and we have to treat. So getting comfortable with diagnosing it and recognizing it, but understanding the medications that can be used to treat it. So this is one area where you will be comfortable and you have to be comfortable as an emergency physician is acute psychosis and the treatment of that with with medications. And that's something where I think you, you really can focus on obviously obtaining histories and doing good exams on these patients is important, but I think this is a time to really kind of focus on the medications that are used for the acute psychosis for that acute episode and getting comfortable with it as a medical student because you will use it as a resident. You will use it almost every day as an attending, especially depending on where you work. So I think that's kind of the time to focus on that aspect of it. Less like family medicine where we focused on exam skills. This is much more, I think, pharmacologic than than prior rotation. Well, I, this is more personal anecdotally, but I felt like my psych rotation was the first time I, I quote, felt almost like a doctor. I was given somewhat of an independence because you could walk into a room, you could just talk to a patient and they let you talk for the, to the patient for that hour that we don't really let medical students talk to a patient for an hour in, in the emergency department. So it was cool. And I would walk out and I felt like I had a pretty clear understanding of the psych disorder they had or I would because a lot of it is diagnosing them putting them into a specific box based off of their presentation and the timeline of their symptoms and so I felt at that time I had a 
kind of a good idea of what was going on and I was able to accurately tell my preceptor what was going on and I could even make recommendations at that point. And so that was pretty early on in third year and that was cool to feel that kind of independence. But I also had a lot of a lot of empathy towards the patients I was talking to and I this, this the I worked in a, a crisis unit for a little while. So if you were at an ED, you got sent to my facility to be held and to be seen by a psychiatrist. And so that rotation actually had a pretty big impact on me. And I remember at the time thinking that I would be seeing so many of these kinds of patients because they were all sent from emergency departments and how important it was to not be dismissive and to really understand where I was sending these patients to. Because when you do a psych hold, it's a, it's a very big deal. And to not use that authority, use that power, kind of like willy-nilly. I agree. Yeah. It's a time to understand the impact that psychiatric care can have on a patient and their family. And it's a time to kind of the nice thing is with psych- psychiatry, most of the time you can kind of put them in that box and say, what what diagnosis do they have? What medications may work? So that's kind of step one is learning kind of the general psych care. And then really step two is that we talked about is really learning the acute management of an acute psychotic episode is, is those medications that we can use to treat that. So those are the two things I'd focus on during a psych rotation. All right. So I think let's move on to, so pediatrics. So this is, I think the time where you really you really focus on, I think Dr. McGillicuddy already kind of talked about it, but really focusing on examining smaller kids. They are not little people. They are, you got to treat them totally different because they have different medical needs, medical issues, disease processes occur differently in children than adults and, and in new, newborns. So kind of learning each physical exam maneuver for, for, I would say, each kind of age group. So newborns, infants, toddlers, young children, adolescents getting comfortable with those different physical exam maneuvers because they're different. You document them differently. You'll treat them differently. They change over time. That's kind of that time to really kind of hammer down those physical exam skills. And then really it's just getting comfortable with the diagnoses that pediatrics have that we don't really see in the adult population, getting comfortable with kind of the diagnosis and management of things like bronchiolitis or, or asthma, which is much more common in pediatrics, but really kind of spending time to learn the few disease processes that we're going to see in the ER more frequently than others are kind of the two areas I would focus my time on in pediatrics. Yeah. And so it's good to get both the outpatient and the inpatient realm of it because knowing what a sick child looks like just by gestalt is very hard, but it's the difference between you sending a kid home with a minimal workup versus getting blood. We don't always get blood in every single kid who walks through the door versus an adult where our threshold to acquire blood laboratories is pretty minimal. However, it not that a kid has to prove something in order to get blood work for me. It's I try to be very vigilant on what child looks sick, but so many kids I see are well appearing. And so it's just because the population itself tends to be more well appearing. So when you're in pediatrics and you're in possibly even an ICU setting or a floor setting, understanding what a chronic kid looks like, understanding what a typically well child who is now coming in with an acute infection or maybe a first time leukemia diagnosis or things like that. Because we also, I think in the emergency department, we admit for different reasons. We admit not only if the kid is sick, but also sometimes more heavily for resources or for patient education. Like type 1 diabetic patients, I feel like we treat a lot differently in children than we do in adults. And we're a lot more conservative and we bring a lot more of those patients in for educations because for, sorry, for education because of how much it's going to impact the rest of their life. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So I would say take home for your, your pediatric rotations, really 
I guess step one, you nailed it on the head, is sick versus not sick kids. Like getting comfortable with that, seeing both of those populations in medical school, getting comfortable with that differential kind of process is important in your peds rotation. So that's kind of step one. Number two, learn learn physical exam maneuvers on all age groups, getting comfortable with kind of the differences and the nuances of each one. And then your third, I would say, take home point for peds is really learning those disease processes that are much more common in kids or only seen in kids like Kawasaki disease, et cetera. Kind of there's probably 20 or 30 diseases that predominantly affect the pediatric population that don't affect adults. Kind of learning them and getting comfortable with them and not spending time on appendicitis or other things that are across populations, but focusing on the disease processes that really are specific to pediatric populations. Pediatrics was actually my first third year rotation. And we actually did PEDS ED for, I think it was like two weeks, which I thought was great because that's what I wanted to go into. And I remember there was a kid with an ear infection who was crying. He was probably like, like two years old, hard to communicate with, hard to manage, crawling all over mom, really didn't want to sit still. At the end of it, I was like, you know, I'm not going to take a look at the ears. I'm just a third year. What do I know? The attending's going to have to look anyway. So I don't want to cause harm. So I told the attending all of this. I very specifically remember him being like, that's not the way to learn medicine. He's two. It's okay to have mom hold his head so that you look in the ear so that you get the diagnosis so you learn what it looks like and for you to like own your patients because it's not actually causing harm. It's just one, you seeing what's going on so you can actually make a diagnosis so you can affect and change management. And two, you can't be afraid to take more control of the room, especially when this is something you're going into. I don't know. I, I remember that very specifically just because it was my first rotations and it helped me even after that, when I was in like my surgery rotation, I felt like I had more authority to be more hands-on just because of that one conversation I had early on. Yeah. I think that's true for all of your rotations, especially as a third year, starting to learn that your medical education matters and is important because you'll be a resident one day and you'll be a physician one day. So kind of owning up as a third year and realizing all these rotations are important, but Every patient encounter, every examination will add to your skills into residency and as a physician. So it's important to kind of start that early on. Oh, yeah. I couldn't even imagine if I was in residency and I walked up to an attending being, oh, sorry, I didn't look. I just knew you were going to do it. That would have been, that's an unacceptable answer. That's an unacceptable thing because you are their doctor. And for you not to, I don't know, look or do the, the physical exam scale or do something because you didn't feel comfortable doing it. And so you refuse to do it. That That's... I mean, it's one thing when you want the attending there to confirm, but it's another thing to, I don't know, just not attempt something, especially something as easy as an otoscope exam, something that you should be expected to know. I don't know. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So let's move on to internal medicine. So internal medicine, I don't know. I felt like I treated this as my catch-all because I was kind of studying for step two while I was in internal medicine. And it just encompasses of so much of what we consider, um, it seems weird. Internal medicine just seems like most of medical knowledge for step two. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's generalized medicine. And so you do a lot more inpatient. And I felt like I did a lot more rounding when I was in internal medicine. And I will say internal medicine is this amazing specialty. They know so much information, but I remember feeling so lost when I was a third year. I never really knew why patients were there. I never really knew when patients were leaving the hospital. I just knew I had to stand for about five hours every day and talk about my, my two patients. And, and I felt personally very lost on my internal medicine rotation, which is why I'm not an internal medicine doctor today. So, Yeah, well, I think that's why most of us are here. But I think you kind of hit on the head, though, which is these patients are so complex, usually when they're hospital. 
I remember as a third year the same way. We went to the same medical school, so we rotated in the same rotations. But they're so complex. There's so much to learn about and know about it. You get kind of bogged down in the details, and you're kind of confused about why they're there. Oftentimes, it's things out of our control, like a patient needs to go to a nursing facility, and they're not open, or they're not for their full, or the insurance is fine. Things that are kind of above our heads at that point in time. But I think really, when you're on those rotations, it's, it's learning as much as you can about a disease process that your patient may or may not have, or your other co-med students, patients, et cetera. Because I think this is the one time where you can actually spend time with a, with a complex patient, with a complex disease process, and really learn the details of each disease. So if you have someone with diverticulitis, that's the time you should really kind of learn and own up to the diagnosis and treatment of diverticulitis or appendicitis or whatever it might be, or sepsis, et cetera. Start to learn those disease-specific findings for that patient. But that'll definitely make your life easier as a resident and as a physician in emergency medicine is that's this time. It's this time to learn those disease-specific things for that population, right? Because hopefully you've already gotten your physical exam skills down. You can practice this obviously on internal medicine, but I think internal medicine inpatient is much more about the disease diagnosis that's already occurred, less so about finding your physical exam findings. That's more so what outpatient family medicine is and kind of clinics are for. But this is the time to really own a disease process. If it's diverticulitis, learn as much as you can about diverticulitis, treatment options, prevention, et cetera. That'll carry with you a long way as a, as a, as a resident and physician in the future. Yeah. I think I learned a lot more about the admission criteria, I guess, because we don't admit every pyelonephritis. But I remember we had a pyelonephritis case where she had COPD and she was in respiratory distress. So she was admitted because of not necessarily her primary disease, but because of the complications she had with her other chronic diseases. And then like you mentioned diverticulitis, we don't admit every single diverticulitis, but sometimes we do. And it's learning who is the right patient for initial outpatient management, who fails outpatient management, who do you anticipate to come back? Um, I feel like those are the things I learned on internal medicine because it's quote unquote easy to see an active STEMI in front of you and in your head, oh yeah, this, pa- this patient's going to come to the hospital. But <laughs> there, what about your chest pain that you're not really sure if it's unstable angina this sounds more like a musculoskeletal, but this is a 64-year-old smoker with a recent stent. Well, you're not going to be taking that chance. You're going to be bringing that patient in and working him up like he might be unstable angina just because of his risk factor. So I guess I felt like I had a better understanding of admission criteria and who needed to come in and versus who needed to go. Which is important, at least in our job now with emergency medicine, is internal medicine is on the other end of that spectrum, right? We've made that decision We've pushed them forwards to be admitted. And so now, what when they do get admitted, what does internal medicine actually do to that patient? What's their diagnosis and what's the, the workup that internal medicine does? Because you'll learn that maybe all these don't need to be admitted or who do I need to admit? And it's sometimes it's helpful to, to know, well, when I do admit them, what happens to them? Where do they go? What tests are done? How long are they in the hospital for, et cetera? Because that will matter as a resident and physician in emergency medicine is, admitting to the right service? Do you need to admit them? How's follow-up for these disease processes, et cetera? I also feel like sometimes the patients will just ask me, if I stay in the hospital, what's going to happen? And sometimes I have a good answer. Sometimes I have to be honest and I say, I don't know because these are decisions made by 
the results of tests that haven't been done yet. And so I can't guarantee you a 48-hour hospital stay. It might be longer. It might be shorter. And so occasionally patients make decisions to leave against medical advice based off of the information I'm telling them. And so it's hard if you don't know the exact specifics. So it's always important that when I admit patients for, let's say, chest pain, which I do every single day, to follow up on the notes of these patients after they're admitted just to see what their outcome ended up looking like so I can have more accurate information for the next patient that walks in with that chest pain. What do you think is going to happen when I get admitted? And I can have a better idea and tell them with a little bit more accuracy what could happen to them and how hospitalization stays get complicated and how they might be in for 24-hour OBS and it might stay into a week long with a cath and a stent and a this and a that and all that good stuff. Agreed. Excellent. So thanks to Kevin and Casey for hopping on for the first part of the non-EM rotations and why they matter on the Med Student Over Easy podcast. Be sure to check back next month for part two. And don't forget to head on over to emovereasy.com where you can find information for med students over easy, short stacks, and other great EM Over Easy content. Also, do not forget to follow us on our social media pages at EM Over Easy on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, thanks so much. Thanks.